For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Bully Ball. I am Rachel Nichols, joined by DeMarcus Cousins. And each Monday, we're going to be talking about everything going on in the NBA. And you know you're going to get the straight talk with my friend over there. Welcome, Mr. Cousins. Hey, what's up, Rachel? How you doing? I am ready. All right. There's so much going on already in this young season. And you know, first up, we got to talk about James Harden set to make his Clippers debut tonight at Madison Square Garden of all places. So Boogie, how do you think Harden is going to fit in with Russ, with PG, with Kawhi? Man, you can look at it from, you know, two perspectives. Um, obviously, it's one basketball. It's, it's four guys that all enjoy shooting the basketball. Um, but you got to also look at the intangibles of each player. Um, knowing that this team is built around Kawhi and PG, um, those are going to be your main two guys scoring the ball. So adding two playmakers, obviously with Russ last year and now James this year. Um, I think it could be a recipe that could work, and it also could be one that could be a complete disaster. Um, I do have confidence in T. Lou and, you know, making this thing work. I think he's the perfect guy to put this mix together and, and make these mm-hmm. guys, you know, exist for this season. So uh, it's a lot of things in the air for the Clippers this season. Uh, I think three of the guys' contracts are up at the end of this season. So uh, this is almost like a, you know, do or die type situation. Um, it can also determine the future of the Clippers. So yeah. uh, I think adding those two playmakers to those two scores, it could work. Um how bought in are these guys with, you know, championship aspirations? Uh, obviously, James has been dealing with, you know, off-the-court issues for, I would say, the past four years. Um, yep. I, it's rumors that he's dealing with, you know, personal issues with, with his family this season, and um, that's part of the reason he wants to be closer to home being in L.A. So, uh, you know, I'm thankful that he is able to get closer to home so he can handle those at-home situations. Hopefully it puts him in a better mental space to – you know, come out and complete and be focused on just basketball this year. So uh, uh, it, it depends on if we have a bought-in James Harden or if, or we're going to see what we saw in the past. With, right. You know, being out of shape, you know, the pouting, the, you know, all of the above when it comes to the negative things he can bring to the court. So uh, if he is bought in, this is going to be a very, very tough team to beat. But we also know how he can be when he's not bought in. So uh, – I think this all falls on James Harden and uh, how he approaches this season. I think we probably agree, right? He's going to be bought in at the beginning, at least, right? He wanted this trade. He worked for it all summer, talked about it a lot. They've all said the right things to each other. Ty Lue had a long talk with him before he even landed in L.A. And, you know, PG and him were talking, you know, all the way through, really, the offseason and the beginning of the season. He and Russ have a much better relationship than I think people think that they do. Um, you know, as, as James said, they go back to the Boys and Girls Club in, in L.A. This goes a lot deeper with them between what happened in a year on the Houston Rockets. So all of that, to me, tells me they're going to start out in good good order and by the way James looks like he's in great shape right now and they're all saying and thinking the right things um we will see as you point out if we get three months in four months in and James does not like the role he has on this team 
if we see some of the other James Harden come out. But tonight, at least, I think it's going to look good. I would start all four of them tonight just to sort of give Russ that mental space that he likes. He doesn't like coming off the bench. He talked about in the past that, you know, that's part of what caused his hamstring injury last year, and it just wrecks his whole routine. And we know that Russ is such a creature of routine, right? So I'd start all four of them, and then I'd platoon them around, and I'm not sure I'd finish with all four of them. What would you do? Um, I would I would start all four. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously it doesn't really matter who you start with is who you finish the game with. And um, Yep. I could see a situation where James is on the floor and Russ is off the floor. Um, yeah, at the end, right? At the end of the games, obviously yeah. James' playmaking ability and uh, and his ability to make shots from the outside that that kind of complements PG and Kawhi closing out the games, and uh, you would finish with two other defenders besides uh, beside those guys. So uh, I could see that being the case, but uh, I can also see it being the case where all four are finishing the game. I can see Russ being in a position that he's coming off the bench towards the ends or being on the bench. And it may be an assignment where Russ has to be a main defender on the point guard and you have to take James yeah. out. So it just it, it's it's almost a gift and a curse for this Clippers team because mm-hmm. there's so many different options they could go with to finish and start games. But uh, like I said, it's all going to go back to how bought in these guys are to just winning games. And, and with, with being bought in, it's going to take each guy sacrificing a little bit that they're not used to doing. So um, let's see how bought in these guys are this season. I mean, look, they've got 32 all-star appearances between them. I mean, that is sick. And obviously, they're going to have to each sacrifice, each change their role. Russ's usage, by the way, is already way down this season. He's been playing great, but his usage has been way down. It's in the teens, and that is not what he's used to. He's going to then have it cut further by James. But this season tells me he's kind of bought into that. I mean, but you know when guys get sort of toward the end of their career, they can see the light that they're not going to be in the game for that much longer. Mm-hmm. You start to be okay. I mean, look at Chris Paul up right at Golden State. You start to be okay with things you might not have been okay with even a year or two ago. I don't think Chris Paul would have consented to come off the bench a couple of years ago, but he knows that's the right role for him right now. And I, I think Russ has that same feel right now. I think Russ knows that if he you know, cuts bait from this Clippers team. I'm not sure there's anywhere else for him to go. I'm not sure there's anywhere else for James to go. If this goes poorly, if he shows up the way you do it, you were talking about the other flip side in three months or something. So I think that's going to help guys kind of do what they're supposed to do. What, what do you think? Is that mentality part of it? Um, I think with the way Russ has handled the past three years of his career, he's been nothing but a professional. Uh, I agree. He's been dragged through the mud. He's been, his name has been, his character has been assassinated. It, all of the above when it comes to just the negativity uh, that's been spoke on this guy's name. And for what, I'm not really sure. Russ is an incredible teammate. Russ is going to show up to play every single night. He's going to give 110% every single night. And you know he'll jump through the wall for any teammate yes. on that floor. So <laughs> with that mindset, I think Russ can end up anywhere. I think more so Russ's situation ended up becoming about the money that he was making in the past, and that's kind of what put him in the position. But as far as him joining other teams, I think any NBA team would be welcoming to have that type of energy and effort on any of their team. He's a winning player. He has a winning attitude, and he makes everybody around him better. He's shown that throughout his entire career. Now, when it comes to James, on the other hand, yeah, um, I think James is a winner. He's, he's proven that yeah. throughout his career. He's – He's always in the playoffs every single year with that, which with every team he's gone to. But uh, we also know how James get when things don't go his way. So yeah. um, I, I believe at this point, moving forward with the Clippers, 
their success falls on James Harden's mindset. I think everybody else is bought in. I think everybody else knows their role. This is about James Harden and who he wants to be as a teammate and what his legacy is going to be pertaining to being a champion moving forward. Yep. If his mindset is in the right place, they have a great chance of you know, winning a championship. If not, we're just going to see another disaster and another team that he's unhappy with. Do you feel that the, the, this ceiling for this team, if everyone does what they're supposed to do, that they can compete with Denver or some of the other top teams in the West? Or I Boston think, even in the East? Absolutely. I think you look at yeah. them on paper, they basically have two starting fives. And I don't think it's many teams in the NBA built the way this Clippers team is built. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, Bomber has invested in his team fully. He doesn't care about the money he spends. And that's always a great thing because if you want to win in this league, you have to spend money. That's just how it goes. So, uh, obviously, his mind is on winning the championship. So, that's taken care of. But, like I said, it just falls back to what is this mindset? What's the mindset of this team going to be this season? See the championship of bust or you can see this Clippers team being blown up? I think I think that's the case. Well, look, you mentioned Ty Lue. I totally agree with you. I, I don't think there's many coaches in the NBA that have the particular mix of skill set of the X and O genius that he has, plus the player relationships he has that could make this work as well as he has the potential to make this work. And he was asked the other day about sort of if he's coached a team or been on a team that had this kind of offense before where it was distributed among these four guys. And he brought up the Celtics teams he was an assistant coach on where they had KG, Paul Pierce, Ray mm -hmm. Allen, Rajon Rondo, I think with Rondo and Westbrook kind of being the comp there position-wise. And and I don't know, do you see similarities there? I see similarities as far as talent and offensive firepower, but um, the mindset of that Celtics team and, and how they embrace sacrifices for one another, that I think that, that kind of goes unnoticed with how great that team was and how much they put into making that a winning situation. They could have all easily been, you know, egotistical and said, this is my team or I want it to go my way. Paul Pierce had every right to feel a certain type of way with him being the longest tenured Celtic on that team and just yep. things of that nature. Um, but it, it still goes back to what I said earlier. It's all about the mindset. That, those guys had the mindset. We want to sacrifice for one another. We want to win championships. And it doesn't matter who's – who's scoring the most points, who's getting the media attention, who's in the MVP run, who's an all-star, who's not an all-star. None of that mattered. It was about winning the championship, and that's what helped that team get there. So yeah. it's going to fall into the same place for this Clippers team. The all-stars, the MVPs, the points per game, none of that matters right now because yeah. all of you done it at a certain point in your career. All of you have accolades, uh, individual team accolades. Now it's about winning a championship. So what's the mindset going to be? Yeah, I mean, you're saying note for note what Harden kind of said at one point during his press conference. Obviously, uh, there are some other things that people took issue with, but he did say over and over, he said, we've all done the individual stuff. To your point, mm -hmm. Book, he said, you know, we've done this before. What we want is a title. So if that really does be the – if that, that, that maintains and that, that is the mantra, I, I think that they could have a lot of potential there. And the spacing, I think, is something that people are underrating a little bit that he's going to provide for PG and Kawhi. Here's a great stat. Last season, Harden was double teamed on nearly 19 possessions a game, which is second only to Luka Doncic in the entire NBA. So mm. that tells you how much gravity he still has and the way that's going to let PG and Kawhi move around. Like they really haven't been able to before 
they haven't had a point guard that has this kind of creativity since Chris Paul left. And I'm very interested to see what happens with this team. And a good good detail from Om Young Nisuk of uh, ESPN reporting that uh, PG and Harden play video games on the plane the entire way from LA to New York. So they're already they're already getting their off court on. So. Good team camaraderie. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> I got to move on to the other side of that trade with Joel Embiid and the Sixers. They are four and one as we sit here today, despite all the craziness, having to adapt to a new coach, new offensive style. What do you think of the team they have right now? And now that they have all those draft picks that they kind of scooped up in these trades and everything, what do you think they need to add to make them like a true contender for an NBA title? Um, I think the Sixers are in a good place. Um, Yeah. Obviously, they picked up some draft compensation in the trade. Um, Tobias Harris being at the end, having, I believe, one year left on his deal, so he has an expiring deal. Um, Obviously, that'll open up some money for the team this summer. Um, I think they're in the perfect position. Um, MB still playing the best basketball of his career right now. Um, You have another solid foundation in Tyrese Maxey, so now it's about finding that, that, that three or four or possibly even a two, man, that can help get them over the hump and put them back in the uh, conversation to contend. Um, you have guys like DeMar DeRozan out there. You have guys like uh, uh, Zach Levine that could come in and be a big impact for that team. So, um, Are you it's, saying it's a, the Chicago Bulls might not make it through the season, Boogie? I'm just shocked. Shock, 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 shock. I don't think they make it to December, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you haven't an all-players meeting one game into the season – yeah, it's that, speaks <laughs> that speaks volumes. That speaks volumes. The fact that it's frustration, anger, hostility, anything, one game into the yeah. system is sick. It's not good. So, uh, like I said, that's I mean, you played volumes. on some contentious Sacramento teams. Did you ever have a team player? I've been on some toxic teams, in? but never all players meeting by game yeah. one. I've yeah. never seen that. I don't think I never will. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But uh, I, I think I think Philly's in a good position. Um, they can add to that team. Uh, obviously, they have a good team camaraderie going with James now being removed from the picture. Um, like I said, a Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan, um, maybe even a Donovan Mitchell if they can pull off a trade or something for that. Um, so oh. I think, like I said, they're in a good position to move forward. Um, they have – two good foundational pieces in, in, in Maxi and MB. So it's just about adding that third piece. And I think they're in a good position to uh, be successful moving forward. You don't think the Donovan Mitchell experiment in Cleveland is going to quite take? I just don't think Donovan Mitchell wants to be there. I think Donovan Mitchell is looking for a bigger market. Um, hmm. and, and that's just not something Cleveland can provide for him. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see who shakes loose because you've also got up in Toronto, you've got OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam who could both become free agents this summer. And Philly's been very smart. Daryl Morey has cleared out a ton of cap space for this coming off season. They could absolutely get a big, huge star if one becomes available. Also now he's got all these draft capital that he scooped up with some of his recent trades. And then of course the big one with James Harden, where he will now with his own pick have three first round picks he could offer someone. So they're kind of in position either before the trade deadline or the summer or a combination of both to do something pretty big they could go the other way and just make sort of smaller adjustments but mm-hmm. I don't know in the modern NBA boogie do you think Embiid needs someone like really really significant to come in and be next to him in order to contend I need. I think I think with every championship team there has to be a very very solid third option I think Embiid obviously being at first Maxi mm-hmm. stepping up into that second option 
who's going to be, you know, your Chris Middleton to, to you know, kind of fill out that team. Um, you mentioned some good names in Siakam. Siakam could be that person. Uh, I can go back to Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan. I think all those guys kind of fit that that narrative of what they're trying to do moving forward. Uh, but, hey, I think the Sixers are in the perfect situation to improve this team. Um, you know, they just got to kind of coast through, still be successful with what they got, still winning games. And I think, you know, after All-Star break or before All-Star break, we could we could see a really big splash and they add something to the mix and put them at the top of the East, possibly. Well, look, you know other GMs around the league are eyeing what happens with Embiid and the idea that maybe, possibly, perhaps, maybe, maybe he'd want to switch teams and ask out of there. You know, you've got Miami, where he's got such a great relationship with Jimmy Butler. New York mm-hmm. wants him and and could definitely make the moves to make that happen. Toronto, by the way, I know they've got free agency coming up for those guys, but there's a close relationship between Masai Ujiri and Joel Embiid. And on the other side, I mean, look, we've been talking about James Harden and PG and Kawhi and Russ are all from Southern California and that they've all talked about that, that that makes a difference to them, that that unites them a little bit. And, you know, Pascal Siakam, OJ Nanobi, Joel Embiid, they're not all from the same city or even the same country, I need to add, mm-hmm. but there is a unity among African basketball players right now. Absolutely. And so to have that relationship possibly, you know, have one or two of those guys come into Philadelphia could be something that makes Embiid happy in the way it might not appeal to some of the other guys, but he feels like a closeness with those guys that might get them good chemistry right off the bat. So we'll have to see. I don't know, but I'm watching that one because they still have moves to make for sure. All right. Well, Boogie, we're going to have a segment every week here where, yes, we will be lifting up the overreaction meter. This is where we look at some of the stories fans have been overreacting to the most right now because, come on, that is what Twitter is for, right? Sports radio is for. Uh, We are going to get your personal overreaction meter where that is sitting. And first up, I want to talk to you guys about the Grizzlies. One and six so far this year. And look, Stephen Adams is out all year. But given that, and that Ja is only seven games into his 25-game suspension, where are you on the overreaction meter? I'm going to give you the choices here, right? You got chilling, monitoring the situation, queuing up the trade machine, or DEFCON 1. What do you got, Fug? Where are you? Uh... I, I'm I'm at queuing up the trade machine right about Ooh, now, right. and the reason I say that, um, your big, your former defensive player of the year in, in Jaron Jackson is averaging seven point six a game. You lost your your, yeah. your starting big man uh, seven point six rebounds per game. You lost your starting center in Stephen Adams, so you're depending on Jaron Jackson to fill a role even bigger than what he's accustomed to. Um, when it comes to rebounding and, and being a big man, that only the only thing that goes into that is effort. So if you can't get effort from your starting big to average a double double per game, it's it's not it's not looking good. So uh, Jaron Jackson has the ability to dominate the paint. We kind of saw him struggle in USA against the foreign bigs, and now we're watching him yeah. struggle this season against you know the NBA bigs. It has to be more effort when it comes to rebounding the ball. Simple simple as that. Um, also with, also with, uh, John Morant being out 15 plus games, games or whatever. Yep. Yeah. With him being out for that long, it could, it could, it could get ugly for the Grizzlies. They don't really have a scoring punch that they're used to. They don't have a playmaking that they're used to. And to be quite honest, the games just aren't as exciting as they are when Jai's on the floor. So, uh, the energy is dead. It's, it's just not the same enthusiastic Grizzlies group that we've seen in the past. So, uh. 
I think it's definitely, uh, I definitely think they should be overreacting at this point. And uh, they got some things they have to figure out moving forward. So uh, the Grizzlies got a rough year coming up, in my opinion. So um, let's see how this plays out. Well, look, this definitely shows, to your point, Jaws' impact on this team way beyond what he does in a basketball sense on the stat sheet. He is such the energy, heartbeat of this team, pushing guys to play harder than they do usually, having the crowds all whipped up so guys get worked up along with it. And missing that element has been just as important to me as what they've been missing on the floor without him there. I also think it's interesting because when that suspension came down, there were a lot of people who thought it needed to be higher, right? This mm-hmm. was his sort of second big strike and the idea that he had some other incidents going on. People were like, it's only 25 games. How much is that really going to impact him? How much is it really going to impact the Grizzlies? But it is almost a third of the season. And if they're struggling this much for a third of the season, I don't know if they make the playoffs. I mean, I, I don't know. That suspension is looking like it is impactful, whether yeah. it has an impact on him personally or not. It's certainly impacting the team, so... All right, next, we got to talk Lakers, but LeBron has had to do a lot of work to push the Lakers to wins. He's busting through his minutes limits. He played 35 minutes over the weekend and a loss by 19 to Orlando. AD, he's playing terrific. He's averaging 26 and 13, leading the league in blocks, but he's playing 39 minutes a game too. So for now, the overreaction is centered around the role players. Where are you on the overreaction meter when we look at what these guys are doing and what needs to be done next? Um, I think it should be an overreaction. Um, and the yeah. reason I say that, um, you monitoring the situation or are you queuing up the trade machine? Where are you? Man, this is tough to say. Um, I want to go DEFCON 1. What? And the reason I say DEFCON 1, uh, I believe this is LeBron James last year to actually compete for a championship. He'll be 39 in December. Um, the fact that you're depending on a 39-year-old, regardless of how great he is, regardless of his legacy, regardless of his legend, 39 years old and you're depending on him to play 40 minutes a night and also be the main guy and the main factor of you winning games, that's that's just not a good sign for this team. Um, yeah. I do think they have the talent to step up, to take less of a load uh, off of uh, LeBron James, but uh, that's on the supporting cast to do so. Uh, I think Christian Woods has to be put into a – a better position to add to to a better position to uh, add to the offensive uh, firepower that that team could have, and um, that's something that the coaching staff will have to figure out. But I think it's too much on LeBron's shoulders at this late of his career and, and at this big age for for him to be the the basically the factor of if you win or lose games. Yeah, um, I mean he he definitely is right now. You're completely right. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, uh, he's been playing, you know, he's been playing pretty good, but I think he still has to take his game to another level. Austin Reeves has been struggling as of lately. I think he's more so just out of rhythm going from USA. I'm sure he took a break in between before training camp. So he's probably still finding his rhythm, but he he has to step his game up. Um, It has to at least be 16 to 18 a game from Austin Reeves for this Mm -hmm. team to really, really be successful. So, uh, they got to figure it out. But uh, at the end of the day, if you're living and dying by if LeBron James is winning games for you this late in his career, it's, it's not going to look good for this team. Yeah, I'm going to have faith Austin Reeves is going to even out and go back to the player they expected him to be. You're right. Right now, he's only averaging 12 a game. Can't be doing that. 39% on field goal shooting. Can't have that either from a guy who's supposed to provide that shooting. 
But yeah, he had a pretty busy season last year, not just, you know, physically, but emotionally changing his role so much and stepping into the spotlight. Then he went right to Team USA Basketball. He was asked to carry a lot there. He did really well, which kind of raised his notoriety. He has a shoe deal. He's a shoe with his name on it. There's a lot going on. And teams have a more of a defensive book on him this year. So I think all of that is going to be an adjustment for him. He's shown me to be the kind of player who can handle that and who eventually is going to be able to sort of even himself out. But he got to get he's got to get there. And these minutes, they're not nothing. I mean, they said going into the season, LeBron should be averaging 28 to 30 minutes. And I was with the Lakers the other night and I asked him and I asked Darvin Ham, what are you doing here with this? And Darvin was like, we're so competitive, me and him, that I have a plan through three quarters and then the fourth quarter it all gets thrown out the window because we know we need to win this game and the medical staff and the training staff is unhappy with both of us the next day and LeBron kind of said the same thing. Um, I, I don't know. How important is it for a guy turning 39 who is, by the way, one of the most physically gifted humans we have ever seen in professional sports, but mm-hmm. even with him, how important is it, do you think, Boogie, that his his sort of mileage doesn't get up as high as it's been getting per game, so he's got it at the end of the season? Is that a huge factor for you? I think it is a huge factor. And I'm going to go off and say the the whole plan of playing 28, that's just – that's complete bullshit. That's I don't even think it's possible with the, the really? way this team is constructed. I, it's, it's, I just don't see that happening. Um, right. It's been – Seven games into the season, they've already scrapped that plan. So can you imagine what happens 30 games in, 40 games in? Mm-hmm. Um, we also have to keep into account that LeBron has been injured every season since he's been a Laker, maybe outside of the championship year. So obviously the, the mileage is, is starting to have an effect on his body, regardless of how physically gifted he is or how physically gifted he's been in the past. Father time is undefeated. And it happens to everybody. So uh, with that being said, they have to put a real plan, a actually realistic plan in place to help this guy make it to the end of the season so he can be fresh for the playoffs and for a championship run. If not, you might as well scrap this team because it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Well, look, I have to think some of the other role players getting healthy will help. I have to think Austin Reeves is going to be able to find his level. But that being said, if that's not enough to push his limit, minutes limit back down, if those guys can't get into the game and step up the way they need them to, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I'm not at DEFCON 1 yet, Boogie, but DEFCON still. DEFCON 1. DEFCON 1. You got a lot of Lakers fans who after that Orlando <laughs> loss were at DEFCON 1. The Magic are a good team, by the way, or they're they're improving or whatever. We're, it's not the Magic of old, but still, I, I get it. I get where people's concern is. I want to move you on to the Phoenix Suns, though, because their health, Definitely prime and ripe for the overreaction meter. We are seven games into the season. Bradley Bill still hasn't played a single game. Devin Booker has only played two games. Definitely the other night you saw when he came back in against the Spurs, had to get his rhythm back and all that stuff, even though he shot really well. Um, Bradley Beal, by the way, big picture, has only played in uh, more than 60 games for four seasons of his career. So He's a guy who, you know, misses games. And obviously we've seen KD miss some games over the last couple of years. Devin Booker generally has been healthy, although he's had those stretches where he's had injuries, where he's missed mm-hmm. games. So should we be overreacting to the Suns' health? Where are you? Are you just chilling? You monitoring? You queuing up the trade machine? Or are you going all the way to DEFCON 1 like the Lakers? Nah, I'm chilling on this situation. Uh, okay. Obviously it's early in the season for this Phoenix Suns team. I think they did a great job of putting this team together. Um, mm-hmm. It's so much firepower on this team. 
if you have two uh, two out of three of those guys and Bradley Beal, uh, Devin Book, and Kevin Durant, I think you're going to always be in a situation to win. I think they did a great job putting bigs in place to compliment these guys. The Nurkish move was incredible. Uh, yeah, you love that? I do. I, I think that's a great move for them, a playmaking big that can finish at the rim, play some defense, a big body, can make the correct reads out of the pick and roll. Um and I think Drew Eubanks coming off the bench with the high energy. I think I think that's the perfect combination for them. Um, obviously, health is the only thing that I see that I can see stopping this team. It's still early in the season, which gives them plenty of time to get 100% healthy. But like I said, with two two out of three of those guys on the floor, they have a great chance at winning games. All right, so just chilling. I, I agree with you. I think that look. They gotta find their rhythm. They gotta find their way. All these teams that just sort of came together over, over the summer—that's the point. That's why Denver is playing so well. That they have all that chemistry and all that time together. That doesn't just happen. You got to build it. So I'm interested to see what they build in Phoenix. I like the uh, DeAndre Ayton Nurkic trade. Also, I'm a little worried about him defensively and what that's going to mean as they progress through the playoffs. He has played great team defense before up in Portland. It doesn't shock me that the last season or two, when things were the way they were, he wasn't buying in in that same way. So I think he's going to try to get back up to that level again, Uh, but they need him to. I will say though, his attitude, he's such a positive guy. He's one of the more like sort of positive, cheerful players I've been around. Teammates really love him. And and that's not a knock on DeAndre Ayton. I actually really like DeAndre and he can be very sunny too, but the situation had gotten so negative there between him and the team and management and everything else and other players that it just was uncomfortable. And so I think removing that from the locker room, having a guy come in who's just sort of all smiles is definitely going to help them too. So I'm with you. I'm just chilling. We'll see what happens. Just chilling. All right. I want to get to our new segment, Set a Reminder. This is for you to set a reminder to the biggest game in the NBA this week. And I want to look at the week ahead. So, Bug, what game are you setting a reminder for? Celtic Sixers. That's Wednesday. Warriors Nuggets, that's Wednesday. I'm actually going to be up in Denver this week. Um, Spurs Knicks, that's Wemby's debut at Madison Square Garden. And you know that guy likes to see that you. We've already seen that kid. He loves him a big moment. He's there. Friday, you've got Lakers Suns. These are some of the in-season tournament games. And Clippers Mavs, which is going to be great too because they've had some great playoff matchups recently as well. So that's a lot of good games. What are you looking forward to? Man, it's hard to to pick just one. Obviously, I'm excited to see the young kid Wimby play. Uh, he's he's going to play on the big stage Wednesday, so I think that's going to be a big test for him. Um, obviously, going to add to the legend that he's already creating for himself. Uh, super talented kid. He's already exceeding the expectations. Um, I spoke on this before. I think the Spurs got, could sneak into the playoffs yes. just off his talent alone. Um, yep. The impact – and, you know, most – most rookies are judged by, for some reason, only judged by what they can do on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, this kid is showing he can be a two-way player and impact the entire game without having to score 30 a night. I think he's Tim Duncan on steroids, which is yep. crazy to say. Terrifying. Yes. <laughs> crazy to say. Um, his, his talent is through the roof. So uh, I'm excited to see that game. Um and Friday, that Clippers-Mavs game, I'm excited to see that one as well. It's going to be good you know, too, right? You know the, the past history between those two teams. It, it always goes down to the wire. Luka always shows up. PG, Kawhi always show up. So I think it's going to be a lot of firepower in that game. Obviously, the new addition and James Harden will be playing that night. So we'll get to see that, that team against another good team in the Mavs, and we'll see what they're made of. So uh, I'm excited for that game as well. 
Look, I love the idea of Wemby at MSG. I am a thousand percent all in on this kid right now. Uh, If you look at the skill set, it is literally something we have never seen before. So when you look at some of the names that his first five games, his first six games, the records that he's setting for his start, you're talking about names like Shaq. You're talking about names like David Robinson, talking about names like LeBron James. And he has a skill set, frankly, that is more complete than any of those guys. And that doesn't mean he is going to become LeBron, but I don't know. I think the ceiling, the ceiling for him is as high as any player who has ever played in the NBA. And we don't know what's going to happen with health. That is, of course, the biggest factor. We've seen Grant Hill, who was supposed to be the next Michael Jordan, completely derailed by what happened to him. So that could happen to Wemby, and then we'll never get there. But I have to say, this kid has already shown he's got a killer instinct. Again, I don't know as we sit here in this particular second, it'll change as people listen to this all week. But I know that as of over the weekend, he had the best fourth quarter numbers, not for a rookie, in the entire league. In the entire league. This kid knows the big moment. He's been a pro, frankly, since he's for years, right? As a young teenager, he was already playing on professional teams, mm-hmm. already playing in the Euro Cup. So he knows about big moments. He's won a championship. He knows what all that requires at the end of the game when all the pressure and everything is on him. And he has been not just running into the fire, he's been leaping into it with that giant wingspan. And the defense book. He is a future Man. defensive player of the year to me. Again, you know, barring this health year, and all of that this stuff. This year. This it's year. It's crazy, right? Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. Guys yes. are talking about that wing. It's an eight-foot wingspan. And so what players I've talked to have played him so far have said, they're like, there's nowhere to physically go. Like, that takes up a lot of court. And that's before you get to the shot blocking. He's blocked KD's shot. He's blocked Clay Thompson's shot. These are guys who are snipers. And he yes. has been able to just get in front of them. And with Clay Thompson, I don't know if you saw that clip, he batted his shot out of the air, grabbed it, and then went to the other end and dunked it. Because, of course, he can. He can do any of that stuff. And straight up around the basket, I mean, as a big, you've got to like the way he's defending around the basket too, right? I mean, you can't even label this kid a big. Um, I, I could see him at a chance at winning defensive player of the year as well this season. Um, he's that impactful in the game. He's on both sides of the ball. Uh, his offense, and, and the scary part, I don't even think he's really found his offensive game yet. These are just intangibles that he he's he's a raw player right now in my eyes. Once he finds his offensive game, he knows where his go-to spots are. He has his go-to moves. He has a first, second, and third option on on every move he make. Um, this this kid is this is something we've never seen before. We'll probably never see anything like it again. And um, being able to guard Steph Curry on the wing at seven for seven, like seven four. <laughs> You can say We've never seen this, man. Right. <laughs> yes. That's the thing. I mean, look, again, I'm, I'm taking big leaps here, but I'm talking about ceiling, right? I'm not talking yes. about what's going to happen. I'm just talking about the ceiling for him. The ceiling for him is that this whole MJ-LeBron debate we've been having for the last 10 years, the ceiling for him is that by the time Wemby's done or even 15 years into his career, is that he could be rendering that either-or discussion he could be rendering it moot. I mean, we we just don't know. He has the potential for so much, and now we're going to have to see if he pays it off. But I'm so excited. That's my game of the week because him and Madison Square Garden, I think, is going to be the juice. 
I don't know. All right, I want to get to some odds here. On the Radar, presented by DraftKings, the only sports book you need for this basketball season. I want to take a look at the odds to win the Western Conference. So we want to look at the dark horse team out West that could dethrone defending champs because Denver's still the favorite, right? Plus 260. The Suns are right there. The Warriors are there. The Lakers are there. The Clippers making a push here. And the Mavs. Then you got the Kings too on the outside. You're all club there. So what what do you think? I mean, I know Suns and Warriors has been kind of what people have been leaning toward. Do you still go with one of them as the best chance to knock off Denver, or do you see one uh, of those little uh, sleepers there? Um, I, I think the Suns have a great chance at being a team that can uh, defeat the Denver Nuggets. Um, mm-hmm. The Denver Nuggets are just so well constructed. It's like a will or machine. Um, they know how to play every single night. They know what they're looking for every single night. They're so unselfish. Uh, Jokic, right now, I believe, is the best player in the entire NBA. So, you you know, you're getting 30, 10, and 10 from him every single night. Um, they're a well oil machine, but if there's any team I could see knocking them off, it, it would probably be the Suns. Um, the three-headed monster they have in Devin Booker, Bradley Bill, and Kevin Durant is a nightmare for any team. Um, I just don't really see any team being able to match up defensively to stop that. Uh, having Nurkic down low, him being a somewhat, him being able to somewhat, you know, bother Jokic a little bit with his size and his physicality. Um, I can see the Suns being a team that can that can do that. Obviously, health is a factor, um, but if this team can get healthy, I, I think they have a chance at being Denver for sure. They're gonna have to shoot a lot. I mean, that offense is going to have to be an over, over, overdrive because you know Denver's going to score and you know that, that Jokic can just bully ball his way in there, speaking of Absolutely. our pod here. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I think it's going to be interesting. I'm so impressed with Denver. I came into the season picking them just because I don't like to pick against the defending champs unless they've given me a reason, and they have given me no reason. They look <laughs> – there's no hangover. Uh, Jokic looks as good as ever. Jamal looks as good as ever. That supporting cast, I know they're – you know, Bruce Brown was a great addition to that team and a great ingredient last year but they don't seem like they've missed a beat Aaron Gordon is playing lights out I mean I they look so good I cannot wait to see what happens this season in a stacked west by the way because Steph Curry by the way is also scoring a million points a game so we got a lot going on all right we got to get to doom scroll our social media element no need you don't need to fall into the endless scroll of our social apps we've got you we're going to give you the good stuff so uh tons of conversation on social boogie about the new city edition courts and I want to show you the Miami Heat court And this is a Pat Riley quote, we think, and it says, hardest working, best conditioned, most professional, unselfish, toughest, meanest, nastiest team in the NBA. I think there are times when that has been true about the Heat. Do you feel that is true about the Heat right now? Uh, I love Jimmy Butler, and and I believe everything that's said in that quote fits Jimmy Butler. I feel the same way about Bam. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see that with everybody on that team or that being the identity of this team. Um, that's just not the identity of any team in the NBA these days. Um, toughness, meanness, net, like that's that's the old school style of basketball. Um, playing with that grit every night, that's old school. So uh, I don't really see that fitting any team in the NBA, but um, it, it is characteristics of certain guys on that team. And basically yeah. the heart and souls of the team, which is Jimmy Butler and Bam. So uh, yeah. in a way, yes. And in another way, hell no. 
<laughs> I mean, it's been so hard with them because they haven't gotten off to a great start, but they didn't get off to a great start last year. They didn't get off to a great middle. They didn't get off to a great finish. They won their second playing game and went all the way to the NBA finals. So they're just a team where it's hard to gauge this earlier in the season, but I don't think court may be a goal. Maybe that court is a goal more than a description. <laughs> Also, a big topic going on as you scroll is, of course, the in-season tournament. It's featuring a cash prize for players and staff. I think that's really important to note. Um, Why should fans care, though? Because even some of the players have come out and said, Bones Highland came out the other day and he was like, I don't even know what's going on here. I couldn't even explain this tournament to you. Yeah, Jimmy Butler saying, I don't really get I'm supposed to win more now when I step on the court on this particular Friday night. I want to win every game. I don't want to win. Now I'm I'm supposed to want to win. So you've had some guys not really seeming to buy in. You've got Steph Curry, who's been buying in. He said after that great game they played against Oklahoma City, he was like, these instances tournament games hit different. So you got guys buying into a different degree. Where are you on it? Uh, I think that season tournament is just complete bullshit. Um, (laughs) I'm going to just be Tell me how you really feel. Um... If you want to get back to, you know, competitive basketball, let's bring defense back to, like, real defense. Like, mm-hmm. let's bring the touch – let's bring the physicality of the 90s, early 2000s back into the game. Um, I think I think that's when basketball was at its peak. I think that's when you really got to see both sides of the ball being played on a nightly basis. I think guys cared more back then. We want to see the superstars of the league go through adversity. We want to see a defensive player actually put the clamps on a superstar. We want those things yeah. to happen. Uh, I think now the game is, is it's becoming where it's too staged. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they they want to stage the superstar scoring 30 instead of letting them go out and get 30. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. if you want if you want real competitive basketball, let's, let's put real defense back into the game. And I think those things – those issues that we're dealing with through this 80-plus ga- 80 game season, I think those issues will slowly creep out and we'll get back to the product that we're accustomed to seeing. No, I love that perspective because, look, I think the in-season tournament could be fun. I'm all for, like, more fun things. I think the NBA has been really creative over the last 20 years, and that's something that other leagues haven't been willing to change in the same way. I think the NFL could use some more of that change. Baseball could use some more of that change. So I like – Thinking about these things, obviously these in-season tournaments are hugely popular with soccer over in Europe, so there's a model there. But I think you're right. It's not going to really make the regular season feel that much more important, which is the goal here because they feel like that slipped away over the past few years. And they're trying to negotiate these television contracts where they're trying to get networks to pay a total of $75 billion. That is the aimed goal here. Seventy-five with a B billion dollars, <laughs> right? So, like that—that that is so much money. And these networks are looking at them, and they're seeing regular season ratings go down and down and down every year. So they need to juice this up. And the thought has been, book like let these guys score more. Our fans love it. They're watching Steph Curry score forty. They're watching whatever. But you're right. It's gotten to the point where a bunch of guys are scoring 40. That's not even yeah. as big a thing anymore. It's like 30 in guys averaging 25 plus. Like it, right? it's, it's just not realistic. Like it's not good for the game. It's not enjoyable to watch. Like I want to see guys go out and compete. I want to see guys getting into it. I want to see guys frustrated with one another. I want to see guys actually go out and compete on a nightly basis. It was good when it was drama in the game. It was good when players didn't like each other. You knew when they met up, it was going to be a great matchup. Yep. Now everybody's friends. Everybody gets along. It's kumbaya. It's, it's like a big summer camp or something. Like <laughs> this isn't what this isn't what 
the competitive nature of this game is completely going away from what we're accustomed to. And we need to get back to that foundation. And like I said, I feel like with that foundation, everything else will clean itself up. Yeah, look, and it starts with on the court. You're right. Because I, I don't care that these guys work out together over the offseason or they're friends. They're, they're allowed to be friends. They're professionals who work in the mm-hmm. same business, right? But the idea of that nastiness coming in, that Pat Riley nastiness he was just yes. talking about on that court, that comes from defense. That comes from on-court battles. That comes from that grit of the playoffs that you're talking about where guys just do not like each other. And that is, you're right, that that is what would get people into the regular season a little more because those matchups happen four or six times a year if they're done right. And then, boom, you've got people paying attention to every single one of those games. So, all right, Commissioner Cousins, we're going to work on that for you. All right, before we go, we've got a question from our producers to close out the show. Which team has the best duo or trio, 23 or younger? So we're looking for really the best young collection of talent in the NBA. We're going to rotate this question every week. It's going to be a different question every week. But this week, we got the magic, right? We got Paolo and Franz Wagner. I'm very proud of my pronunciation there. Thunder, Jalen Williams, not that Jalen Williams. The other Jalen Williams, yes, that Jalen Williams. Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy. they're all under 23. On the Pistons, you got Cade Cunningham, Jalen Duran. On the Spurs, Wemby, of course. Uh, you got Vassell. You've got Sohan. You've got on the Hornets, LaMelo Ball, Brandon Miller, Rockets, um, Sengun, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, and on the Pelicans, of course. Zion's still only 23 people. Trey Murphy as well. Brandon Ingram doesn't quite fit into the uh, 23 and under, but he's still young. So where are you on on the best young, young core in the NBA? Um, outside of me being a huge fan of Wimby, uh, mm-hmm. obviously I love the Spurs organization and everything they do as far as developing players. But mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go with the Thunder. Um, Jalen Williams, Chet, and, and Giddy, that's – that's a great foundation, a great foundation to have with those young guys. Obviously, you adding Shea to that picture. Um, Shet might be the closest thing we have to Wimby. And well, that's and I, a rookie of the year. That's the rookie of the year race. Clearly, is going to oh, be Chet obviously. Homer, I right? think Chet is a very, very talented player. I was a, a big fan of him coming out of uh, Gonzaga as well. Like I said, I think he's the closest thing to Wimby we, we're ever going to see, and I think their games are s- still kind of different. But just as far as the size and athleticism and intangibles, it's somewhat of a similarity. But uh, I think Chet is also one of those special type players, uh, something we'll never see again. Um, Mm -hmm. Jalen Williams being young and talented as he is, I think he's a dynamic player that fits the uh, mold of that team. And then Josh Giddey being the, 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 the playmaker that he is, putting that combination of players together and adding shade to the mix, I think you got a bright future with that Thunder team. So, uh, and obviously, Sam Presley leading the way. He's He's been great throughout his career with just building teams, developing teams. We saw him put the young core group of Kevin Durant, yeah. Russell Westbrook, James Harden together. <laughs> we see what those guys turned into. So uh, I think this Thunder group can be special. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to see what happens as this team unfolds. Sam Presti knows his way around a draft, and they have so many picks coming up. They've been so smart at making all these deals for draft picks. This young core is all going to be on the same timeline. They're going to add another couple players this year and over the next year. They've got picks from all over the league, so they don't have to – Right? Well, they don't have to bat a thousand. I mean, it's it's actually it's actually the concept of the process in Philadelphia, but without sucking to get draft picks. It's right. about making smart moves to get draft picks. But the whole point of the process was drafting is an inexact science. No matter the best people, the best people in draft history, the best GMs and front office people, you, you don't bat a thousand. You don't even bat five hundred. 
Like you can't predict at 17 and 18 what these kids are going to be. So the more picks you have, the more bites at the apple, the better team you can end up with. And Philly got there by having historically bad seasons. Uh, Sam Presti is getting there by basically being super savvy about players he's traded away, starting, of course, with Russ and PG trades. And I, I think that Josh Giddy is somehow underrated. So I love this group too. And, and I'm excited to see what they do. I think there's like a ticking time bomb where everyone knows it's ticking. Everyone in the NBA knows what this team is going to be in five years. Yes. And we're just watching it happen like that. Can't wait, Can't wait for Boom. it to unfold. Boom. All right, friend. I love doing this with you. I love talking to you. This is going to be so much fun every week. Uh, we got a lot to come. <laughs> I'll see you next Monday and I'll see all you out there too. All right. I appreciate you, Rachel. This was great. And remember, you can get Bully Ball wherever you get your podcasts, in the air, on the ground, on YouTube as well. We'll be there. Thank you for being in this first edition of Bully Ball. There'll be more. 